On the 18th of September 1961, the second Secretary-General of the United Nations, Swedish economist and diplomat Doug Hammarskjöld, died in a plane crash with 15 others near Ndola, which is now in Zambia. He was en route to negotiate a ceasefire between the forces of the United Nations operation in the Congo and the mineral-rich breakaway state of Katanga. Hammarskjöld became Secretary-General as an unexpected compromise candidate in March 1953. Over his eight years in the post, he established a reputation for integrity and for defending the interests of small nations against the superpowers. You can sense his global popularity in this edited audio of Doug Hammarskjöld at the General Assembly in 1960 when he was responding to pressure from the Soviet Union to resign. I shall remain in my post during the term of office as a servant of the organization in the interest as a servant of the organization in the interest of all those other nations as long as they wish me to do so. It is very easy to resign. It is not so easy to stay on. It is very easy to bow to the wish of a big power. It is another matter to resist. As is well known to all members, I have done so before on many occasions, if it is the wish of those nations who see in the organization their best protection in the present world, I shall do so again. After his death, President John F. Kennedy reportedly said of Hammarskjöld, I realize now that in comparison to him, I am a small man. He was the greatest statesman of our century. In 2022, the 61st anniversary of that 1961 plane crash comes when a new report by the United Nations into the plane crash that killed Hammarskjöld is about to be released. Roger Lipsy is the author of a definitive biography called simply Hammarskjöld. He writes that Hammarskjöld integrated depth of inner life with mastery of political processes as a man of the modern West, a Christian and humanist open to the world's political wisdom and spiritualities. It's a great pleasure to welcome Roger Lipsy to Radio National Now to discuss the amazing life and the mysterious death of Doug Hammarskjöld. Welcome, Roger. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, Roger, can we start by uh, hearing from you a quick portrait of Doug Hammarskjöld, the man, and how you describe him as a person and sum up his contribution as UN Secretary General. Doug Hammarskjöld was born in 1905 in Sweden. His father was a prime minister during World War I, and his mother, which, so you can assume that there was a lot of politics under discussion at the dinner table, yes. and his mother was a devoutly, warmly, humanistically Christian person, um, quite different from his somewhat remote but brilliant father, Hjalmar. These two sources for him were in kind of a lifelong endowment, both, both rigorous intellect and an underlying warmth. He rocketed through his education. He was by the age of 30, he was um, already had his Ph.D. in economics and had a degree in law. He was working for the government and was one of the architects of the welfare state, which became so well known and, and kind of a model for the rest of parts of Europe. Yes, indeed. During World War II, he was the chairman of the state bank. 
Sweden at that time was neutral, although they were under the thumb of Nazi Germany. After the war, he was one of the um, people who, uh, in the cabinet of the of the Swedish government, one of the people who who restored Sweden's reputation through his integrity, through his intelligence. Mainly, his preoccupation at that time was the the Marshall Plan and the allocation of funds for the uh, Marshall Plan to to uh, rejuvenate Europe. In 1953, to his great surprise, he hadn't been forewarned. He was invited to become the Secretary General of the UN. As you said, he was a compromise candidate. He was known to certain Western leaders, known sufficiently to the Soviets. And there he was. They thought he was safe. They thought he would be apolitical, a, a technocratic leader. And they had misjudged him. As his first major biographer, Sir Brian Urquhart, said, they would never make that mistake again. <laughs> because he, within the first year of his eight and a half years in service, he had already begun to show that he had um, a powerful international view and was able to give the United Nations increasingly the voice that it deserved, yes. which it had not really had until he became Secretary General. Roger Lipsy, what, what were Doug Hammarskjöld's main achievements as UN Secretary General? The first one was to, in 1955, was to peacefully bring home, on behalf of the UN, some American airmen who had been, who had, you know, whose plane had landed in Chinese territory, who were being held as spies which they were not. And so there was a, a tremendous and really threatening dispute between China and the U.S. And he was asked to intervene, and he did. And what he found in early 1955 was that Zhu Enlai, the uh, Chinese uh, prime minister, was a person very like him, a Mandarin, a learned person, um, deeply interested in politics, sophisticated, they worked out an agreement. That was the first achievement. The second was in Suez, I would say. The Suez crisis in which Britain and France conspired with Israel to overturn the Egyptian government of Gamal Abdel Nasser uh, without informing anyone else in the world that what they were doing. Uh, they were permanent members of the UN, of the Security Council, Britain and France, and it was considered a great betrayal by most of the members of the UN. Hammarskjöld, with others, created a peacekeeping force, and we still have peacekeeping forces today um, all around the world. This was the very first one. It brought about a, a ceasefire. It brought about um, a peaceful settlement and saved face for Britain and France, and saved the regime of Nasser. That was quite extraordinary. There were other, um, you would say, smaller-scale um, events, but the next probably to point to is is uh, the Congo crisis. Mm. And that's a very long story, but the gist of it is that uh, Belgium, the colonial power in the Congo, which is uh, a vast territory, larger than Western Europe, had not prepared 
administrative and other kinds of professionals for independence. But under pressure, Belgium granted independence in June, the end of June 1960. Within 10 days, all hell had broken loose. Yes. And Patrice Lumumba called upon the UN to intervene. And Hammerschold, who received this message in Geneva, said, as he was getting on a plane to go back to New York, he said, I don't know where this is going to lead us. I don't know where this is going to lead me, but we have to do it. Mm, mm. And what emerged from that was a, a, a very complex program, constantly buffeted by opposition from from all sides, really. Um, and ultimately, Hammerschold as he did several times, put his life on the line by flying to Endola, as you mentioned, in, in what is now Zambia, to achieve a, a peace, a, a, a ceasefire at very least, if not more, with the uh, president of the breakaway province of Katanga. Yes. And it was there that, and I'll just say how I see it, there that his enemies, working through mercenaries, found a way to assassinate him. And that was 61 years ago to this day. Roger Lipsy, uh, several inquiries, the early inquiries into the plane crash, put the incident down to pilot error. But the publication of a 2011 book by the UK academic Susan Williams called Who Killed Hammerschild uh, re-enlivened concerns that the crash was the result of foul play. What did Susan Williams' research reveal? There were three inquiries at the time. One was a technical inquiry into the air crash, the second was an inquiry by a, a, a commission of inquiry of the Rhodesian government, which was a white supremacist government. And the third inquiry was a UN inquiry that relied rather a lot on the Rhodesian inquiry. The Rhodesians listened to testimony from quite a few witnesses, but they discredited every witness who happened to have a skin color different than the color white. Mm. So that while there were eyewitnesses who had seen a fighter plane in the air pursuing a larger plane, who had witnessed a fireball in the sky, who had later uh, come upon the crash and were shooed away in the middle of the night by um, what appeared to be paramilitaries, all of that testimony was dismissed as unreliable because it was coming from people with a different color skin. So that vastly biased inquiry, Susan Williams, who whom I so admire, she's a great friend, uncovered all of this rejected testimony and many other factors that point toward a an assassination. Because of her truly brilliant work opening this topic uh, anew, the United Nations in turn opened the topic anew and now expects yet another report. We can hope um, a forceful and highly informed report from Judge Mohammed Othman, who's, who is responsible um, 
for it. Yes, the former Chief Justice of Tanzania, who in his 2017 report uh, said that it appears plausible that an external attack or threat may have caused, may have been a cause of the crash, whether by way of a direct attack or by causing a momentary distraction to the pilots. Roger Lipsy, in your assessment, if foul play did occur, who are credibly suspected of involvement in that foul play? You know, because a number of countries, my own, the United States, France, Belgium, South Africa, have probably not revealed all that they have in their classified files. What I can say is that whatever the truth is, and I pray that it's revealed, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace for whatever separate country or consortium of interests came together to end the life of the greatest statesman of the 20th century. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, the details are uh, compelling and well, well worth uh, Radio National listeners reading uh, some more into. We've only got a short amount of time, but just briefly, Roger Lipsy, very different insights into Doug Hammarskjöld came from the posthumous publication of his diary under the English title Markings. Uh, what did Markings reveal about Hammarskjöld? Hammarskjöld had only two or three times publicly revealed that he was a very powerfully religious human being. And at a very sophisticated, intense level, Christian, yes, but also well-informed about Chinese spirituality, Indian spirituality. Mm. And Markings revealed this searching, interesting, spiritually-oriented human being who had only shown himself perhaps three times. And one of the most notable times was what he wrote for the so-called Room of Quiet or Meditation Room at the UN headquarters. And Roger Lipsy, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there because it's coming up to news time on RN. But thank you so much for speaking with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That's Roger Lipsy, author of the biography Hammerschild and also more recently Politics and Conscience, Doug Hammerschild on the Art of Ethical Leadership. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.